Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market each day. It's Monday, June 17th. I'm your host, Jason Moser. And on today's show, we've got a special guest in the studio for a new installment of Between Two Fools. Brendan Matthews has been working with The Motley Fool now for about seven years. Much of his career was spent helping find great stock ideas on our investing team, but recently, Brendan has taken on a new challenge in joining Motley Fool Ventures, a new branch of the company that's focused on finding great ideas before they ever even hit the public markets. Brendan, thanks for being here. Happy to be here, Jason. So, I'm excited to get you here to talk about what you and the team have going on at Motley Fool Ventures because, I mean, it is a fairly new part of the business, but you've been at it for a while now. And I've had the opportunity to, you know, sit in on some of the meetings and sort of the process that you guys go through there. And, and I think just general general perspective from that that side of the world, we don't ever really get. I don't think our listeners hear enough about it. So, to have you in here talking about it, I think is going to be really great. Before we get into it, tell us a little bit about your background. So, I grew up in this area. I was a follower of The Fool as a teenager. Um, shortly after the dot-com bubble, I started a, a career in management consulting. Um, which means I traveled a lot and got really good at spreadsheets and PowerPoint. And submitting for expenses. Yeah, <laughs> submitting expenses, getting reimbursed. I um, garnered a lot of uh, airline points, hotel points. I, I learned a lot about business, um, got kind of promoted up to the solid middle of the middle of the pack uh, in yes, the uh, middle management. In the management consulting <laughs> business, um, which is when I uh, jumped out and went to business school. And started on the bottom rung of another industry, which was investing. So I started working at a um, a big uh, hedge fund in California. Then ended up moving back and joining the Fool, where I spent I think five or six years working for Tom and David on their investing products. You might know me from such premium ser- services as Stock Advisor, Fool One, Supernova, Odyssey Two. So an investing fool. Uh, last year, the Fool launched a venture fund to try to bring venture investments to the to retail investors to our members, um, and I joined that team to sort of imbue it with the foolish investing ethos. Yes, I mean you, you. I think you and I have some similarities in the way we got here because it wasn't like we just got here right out of college. I don't think it's necessarily what we even thought we initially were gonna do. So you get here a little bit later in life, but with a lot of experience and in some different work under your belt, which I think is an investor. I mean, frankly, I just think that gives you a lot more to go with. I mean, anytime you have an experience uh, in some line of work, you know, you bring that knowledge over over to the investing world. It gives you a perspective, perhaps that um, you know that that someone who's just been doing this job all their lives might not have. Well, we've got that Buffett quote on one of the conference rooms in the Fool that says, "I'm a." Better investor because I'm a businessman. I'm a better businessman because I'm an investor. Oh, I thought you were talking about the ham sandwich. The ham sandwich. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I know which one you're talking about. Um, hey, okay. So, I this is for me getting to sit in a couple of times with you guys, your team, to learn. I mean, to learn a little bit about the process with, with, with Motley Fool Ventures and the companies that you're looking for. Um, Tell us a little bit about. I mean, Motley Fool Ventures is brand new. I mean, you got into it right at the ground level as it was starting. Tell us a little bit about your experience getting into this world, what Motley Fool Ventures is doing now, and the types of companies that you guys are looking for. Sure. So, just to give you the the basic specs. So, we're we're a technology fund. Um, we're focused on what's called Series A. 
So venture capital has labels of rounds, and they're sort of chronological, starting from seed, series A, B, C, D. Um, a company like Uber might be a, a series G, where they're um, raising hundreds of millions or billions um, in, right before going public. We're at the other end of the spectrum much earlier, so series A. It'll typically be companies that are getting their, their first or their second round of institutional capital. So probably a lot. You're, you're probably trying to find a lot of different names then. you got to figure a decent number of the companies that you invest in probably aren't going to work out. Yeah. So the venture capital model is, is such that you have a few big winners that, that are massively rewarding, but most of your companies are losers. And the earlier you start on the spectrum, that tends to be more extreme. So you have companies like uh, Y Combinator or Techstars that are almost just focused on the seed stage. Um, they have almost the lowest hit rate. We're one stage more mature than that, so we expect to have fewer, fewer losers, but still probably the majority of our companies actually won't end up working out. It's just such a um, difficult, massive undertaking to actually start up a company, build it up, and then take it to the point where you have a, an exit either by going, going public or, or selling to an acquirer. Now, we talk about Motley Fool Ventures. I mean, this is Motley Fool Ventures because it's something that incorporates um, members of our Motley Fool family, right? I mean, members of our services have the opportunity to actually be a part of this venture fund. I mean, that's where the funding comes from. Is that right? Right. So most of our most of our limited partners. So we have a fund. We're the general partner. Um, we're an affiliate of the Motley Fool, the 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 overall parent. So we're an affiliate, but we're a separate company. Yeah. From the Motley Fool, and the way that we raised money was basically by talking to our members. Now they had to be accredited investors and they had to be qualified purchasers. But we basically told them, hey, we have this opportunity, and and a lot of it is just sort of capitalizing on the the reputation. And the relationships that the Motley Fool has built over many years, and that you say accredited, and we're just talking about the amount of money they have to invest, right? Yeah. So the government has rules on who's allowed to invest in in venture capital or private funds. So you have to have a certain amount of income or net worth to invest in private investments. Gotcha. So let's talk about some of the companies that you've been keeping your eyes on, because I know there's some that you and I have talked about before, some that we've um, worked alongside with at least for a little while. Um, and then there was there was one that I was really interested that that I uh, was able to be a, a part of as well. But what we talk about some of the companies that have been uh, put across y'all's radar. So I think the one you're referring to when you said uh, you and I worked on it is a company called Buy Wall Street. Yes, it actually used to be called Rubicoin. Yes, and uh, it, it's it's a company. It's interesting. It goes back quite a while. The Motley Fool invested in it before there actually even was a venture fund, and it was started by one of our members, um, a guy named Emmett Savage. In Ireland, and and um, a, a coworker from Vodafone, John Tyrell, and they're both passionate investors um, in their sort of personal time, but they're also sort of really dedicated to sort of mobile and the growth of mobile through their day to day jobs at the big phone company, and so they eventually decided to take the plunge to create a mobile app to help folks start investing. Yeah, and that's. I mean, I think I've always. I say this just regardless of whether we invest in this company or not. I mean, I think with investing, like that mobile presence has always been something somewhat lacking, I guess. And this, I mean, Rubicoin, what you know now is called My Wall Street. They really have a very slick mobile experience. One that I mean, I'm a member of their service, yeah, and so I get to consume it and and look at it on a daily or weekly basis whenever I am. And I'm always just very impressed with how slick and informational and educational it is. 
they invest a lot like we do. Yeah, so they have they have two mobile apps. One is a is basically a free app. It's called Learn that will help you invest. The other one is called Invest or just called My Wall Street. Right. And that's the one where they'll actually give you some some pretty good stock picks. Um, it's a philosophy that's very similar to the way that the the Motley Fool will go about it. it. Tends to be growth names, a lot of focus on management and opportunity size. Um, and if you've got depends on your broker, but you may actually even be able to integrate that mm-hmm. into your broker. So so you've got everything from reading about great stocks to making the trade all on your phone. And it's a very slick mobile experience. Yeah, and I do um, semi-regular uh, stock chats with their their head analyst, uh, Rory Karen over there. Um, and, and so, and listeners may remember we had Rory on here a number of months back uh, on Between Two Fools to talk a little bit more about Rubicoin and, and some of the opportunities they were seeing in the um, financial space on the other side of the pond, as, as they might say, as we might say, <laughs> as somebody might say. Um, so, uh, My Wall Street, I can relate to that one. What's this uh, company you're, you're talking about here, Moto Refi? What's that all about? So, this is a company we invested in very recently. So, it's sort of different sides of the spectrum. Um, uh, My Wall Street is a company that The Motley Fool goes back with for back to at least 2013. Um, very similar to the the core business of the the Motley Fool. Um, Moto Refi is a lot different. It's something we invested in recently. It's a company that's dedicated to figuring out how to help people refinance their auto loans. So you and uh, Mafra or or <laughs> Matt Frankel are probably well aware that a ton of people refinance their home loans, but not a ton of people refinance their auto loans. And it's not because they're in great auto loans to start out with. Yeah. Actually, a lot of people are in pretty bad auto loans. Uh, because, for instance, they just take whatever the dealer offers. They don't shop around. Um, their credit has improved in the past couple of years since they made their initial purchase. But the thing about uh, refinancing an auto loan is it's kind of a pain. So you know you've got to get your you've got to have an appraisal of your car. They've got to make sure you have the title. They've got to run a credit check. And traditionally, this is done either by banks or or credit unions. And the credit unions in particular haven't been aggressive about going out and marketing it to people. So you actually can save hundreds of dollars a month. It just is a bit of a hassle to do it. And so what Moto Refi is really doing is they're trying to take that friction out of the process. They're partnering with credit unions um, to help people get a uh, get a loan with uh, lower closing costs and without a lot of. Uh, Sort of pain on their end. Yeah, you know, we've seen some data out there recently where it seems like there are a lot of consumers who are getting into arrears on their car loans. Which I mean, I, I, I can understand. I mean, it is difficult at times when these these car companies will make it seem like you're almost irresponsible if you don't take advantage of this awesome deal that they're giving you to buy a new car. Um, but yeah, I mean, it would seem to be one of the big challenges there. Is I mean, uh, you know, unlike a house. I mean, a car essentially is just losing value every single day. I mean, in most cases, the house over the long haul is going to be something that generally appreciates in value over the time. I mean, how, how, that seems like it'd be a how does how does it off, how does a company offset that risk? Do you know? So that's one of the challenges for the underwriters or the banks, yeah. and one of the reasons they sometimes haven't been as aggressive as going out and trying to make these loans. But the fact is, if you if you look at the data on Car loans, even if you have a car loan that's a 110, 120% loan to value ratio, um, that person might end up still making those payments um, just because they need their car. And we don't really see, we even during the uh, financial crisis, we saw people walk away from their houses, but not necessarily their cars. Yeah. Um, and so 
I guess Moto Refi really sees a a niche there that they can play in where they can um, offer people, you know, closing costs of something like 400 bucks, and they can save people $100 a month on their auto loans. I can make a big deal. I can make a big deal. Um, so, I, I have an idea for you guys. And, and so, I, I initially shot this across uh, Olin's bow, uh, I don't know, it was probably like six months ago or something. Um, but I had just, you know, I had just gone over to Chad Dukes' store there in Fairfax, Commonwealth Dry Goods, and I stocked up on some more Dizzy Pig. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Dizzy Pig, it's that uh, spice company out in Manassas. Yes. And so they make like all of these silly spice mixes that are good for like steak and chicken. And so they have this line that's like all of these different sort of cultures that are like Mediterranean ish and there's fajita ish. And so last night we made fajitas and I used this fajita ish on the chicken that I grilled. I mean, Dizzy Pig is just far and away like some of the greatest grill spice mixes, and they're locally locally made here. It's like it's like craft beer, except it's craft spices. And I don't know for sure, but I think that actually Dizzy Pig might be somewhat supplied by McCormick, which is another favorite of mine. Mm-hmm. So it's not a tech company, Brendan, but it is a small uh, private company that, if if you guys are looking to branch out, maybe diversify a little bit. I mean, you know that tagline McCormick uses, right? It's you're looking at 90% of the flavor of the food that you're eating, but just 10% of the cost. So, kind of like you know the people that are feeling like they they have to take advantage of that deal that the car company is giving them. I mean, you almost you have to take advantage of buying those spice mixes because they're giving you all the flavor at such a low cost. Hey, you don't sell the steak, you sell the sizzle. <laughs> Right send on. me a send me a pitch deck. Sounds I spicy. I will. I will. <laughs> so what? I you know I see in the headlines a lot. It seems like, and maybe this is the mark of a top. I don't know. You tell me. But it does seem like there are a lot of celebrities out there that are getting into this type of work that you're into. Now I'm not saying they're not qualified, but they strike me as maybe not as qualified as you. I could be wrong. But what is up? What is up with that? What is up with celebrity VCs these days? Because it seems like it's a trend that's growing. Yeah. So the latest one is Aaron Rodgers is uh, creating a fifty million dollar venture capital fund. It's not a totally new fund. If you a new trend. If you go back, I think to two thousand ten, Ashton Kutcher um, yeah. launched a, a venture capital fund. He's actually made seventy investment. Yeah. He's made. He's got a pretty good track record. And we're seeing actually a lot of um, celebrities are becoming pretty successful as entrepreneurs. Uh, I think about um, the Honest Company, which yeah. I, I did not know was started by Jessica Alba. That's like a, a billion dollar um, brand. Yeah, not uh, to be confused with Honest Tea. Right? Not we're Honest talking tea. about that other organic yeah. baby diapers, yep. baby food, things like that. Um, Gwyneth Paltrow has her own sort of empire with. With Goop, which I find very interesting, yep. but, but it's uh, certainly successful. So I think what all of these um, celebrities are doing is they're looking at different ways to leverage their name value. So in venture capital deals, sometimes everybody sort of seems to want to be associated with celebrities so they can sort of stick their elbows into a deal. They can <laughs> um, try to get sweeter terms. Uh, a lot of celebrities will actually... Um, Offer to be pseudo spokespeople um, for. So it's kind of like a rubber stamp in some cases. A little bit. Um, I can tell you a deal that we invested in recently, um, Hungry Marketplace. It's basically a, a catering network for chefs. Huh. Um, very interesting business, very good business. You mean a network where chefs can get work catering events? 
so yeah, so it's corporate. So a network of chefs, um, they they cook the food, they pick the meals. Uh, what Hungry does is they essentially have a website, and corporate um, folks who order lunch for the office can sort of go on there, pick from a bunch of different menus, uh, different chefs, and that's that's Hungry in huh. essence. I think it's a, a good business model. Um, they've gotten a, a really a ton of press um, from this from this recent adventure. Their, their recent um, Series A financing, and a lot of it had to do with the fact that Jay Z invested. So, heard of him? Yeah, I've heard of him. So Jay Z re- recently um, formed a venture co- a venture fund, Marcy Venture Partners, and so he invested. He didn't actually invest; he invested less than us, but he's certainly more famous and more well known than us. <laughs> and so the company got a lot of publicity off of that. Yeah, um, a few imagine. other, and, and and then once you get a couple of celebrities in, they start to add up. So. Usher is also an investor um, through his his mom, who actually runs a, a test kitchen and has been in the food business. And somehow, and Dominican Sue got involved. Um, so yeah, it's it, it's interesting to see this trend of of celebrities. I think it's just another out out outgrowth of what we'd say the the influencer trend. Yeah, yeah. There there are some people that do really. Enjoy just the potential of of a celebrity, even in their area. I remember before I moved up here, um, I was working for a year at Travelers Insurance, and there, <laughs> in the claims department, there there was a claim that was being filed on, on Usher's policy, and some of the people involved with that work were just beside themselves that they got to work on Usher's insurance claim. I just found it interesting that it was just such a big deal. And I think there's also something for the celebrities that either that they might say it's another um, outlet for their talents. So, sure. Yeah. So Jared Leto, who's a you know a talented actor, and he has a rock band, and just an all around interesting guy living on a um, closed army base in Southern California. <laughs> he's a he's an investor like in Slack, and he's uh, according to an article a couple years ago, he was kind of giving giving feature product feature roadmaps. Map suggestions that the CEO said were good. I don't know. Yeah, I, I think it's interesting. I think it's more interesting for um, celebrities to be, you know, when when Uber or Zoom <laughs> or Spotify or whatever goes public to say I was an investor in that deal. Well, uh, I mean, it, it, it's, it's it's a lot more interesting than saying I have a, a tax efficient, low cost, uh, <laughs> diversified uh, portfolio. If you can say, oh, I've got a, a slice of this little superstar. It was not to say they get them all. I mean, they, I think if I remember, Jared Leto was also one of the people early on that dumped a bunch of money into Meerkat, that um, streaming platform that ultimately was just rendered obsolete by Periscope, which then Twitter bought. But yeah, you got to take your wins and your losses. It's well, not a, that that's uh, venture capital. That's the nature of it. And it doesn't change if you're a celebrity. You're not always going to. You're not always going to win. That's right. That's right. Uh, we'll talk about some of the trends out there. I mean, is on the investing team here? I mean, we were always looking at. Trends, things that were taking us down the road, viewing this whole this whole idea that the market is a forward-looking mechanism. We're trying to sort of predict the future to to a degree. What are some of the trends that you all are paying attention to there in Motley Fool Ventures? Well, one thing that's fun about um, ventures is I almost don't even have to go out and look for the trends. They just accumulate as I, <laughs> as I talk to people pitching businesses. That's nice. So, so one is that um, I'll call it this data is a no, new gold mine yeah. theme. So. Almost everybody who pitches us a business idea is telling us, well, that's that's just the business. Think about all this data we're going to have. It's going to be so valuable. And I think on one hand, that makes sense. I think 
increasingly data is valuable. We're finding new ways to use it. The thing is, if that's the core of your business model, you have to consider that everybody else is going to be producing a ton of data too. Yep. Uh, it's almost become table stakes at this point. If you're not producing a, a, a big, valuable ton of tra- uh, a trove of data, you're going to get left behind. Yeah. So I would say very rarely would is it true that it's really going to be centrally valuable to your business, but if you don't have it, you, you're missing out. Yeah, I would say to me – it's not the data, it's how you use it. I mean, I feel like data has become one of those it, – it sounds like – I mean, you remember the the Internet of Things. I mean, that would be bandied about for just virtually any and every investment thesis, which at some point or another, it's – you know, listen, you, you got to tell me what's the next step. You got to connect the dots there as opposed to just saying that's the thesis. Data is not the thesis. It's what are people going to do with it? And I mean, you saw just recently. I mean, Salesforce is making this big acquisition of uh, Tableau, which is essentially a data company. It's going to help them make more sense of the data. Um, and and I think, uh, yeah, I mean, there are going to be plenty of opportunities out there. But data is pretty much normal. I mean, that's that's the given. Everybody's on that playing field. I think. Um, talk to me about electronic sig- uh, signatures. You know, this is a market I'm actually pretty interested in. Yes, I've heard you guys talk about uh, DocuSign a few times. I think it's interesting because increasingly more and more companies. Uh, well, that we're interested in or are investing in are trying to make to streamline paper-based processes. Sure. It makes things easier. And electronic signatures is is kind of a, a big piece of friction. So I was talking about Moto Refi earlier. Mm-hmm. They, they've got electronic signature and it's powered by DocuSign. We've got other companies that are using DocuSign as the basis of processing electronic information. It's really becoming a, a pretty... Um, sort of must-have tool out there. I'd say when we raised our fund, when Motley Fool Ventures raised the fund, we did it almost all online. And we relied heavily on DocuSign for folks to sign their subscription agreements, to submit their tax forms. Um, and without it was, it was difficult uh, setting up a huge fund, but without um, the tools of DocuSign, it would have been even more difficult. Yeah, well, I mean, it's you buy a house, you get a car loan, you start a venture fund, or you bring on... Um, Business partners. I mean, it does seem like, and I mean, to be clear, DocuSign's not the only game in town, but it does seem like they are certainly making their presence felt in a space that, I mean, traditionally has been, you know, left a couple of bigger players. I mean, Adobe, I think, for a long time has really kind of benefited from that space, but it doesn't really seem like Adobe has invested as much in that particular realm of the business. It, it reminds me a little bit of, you know, we talk about how awesome a tool Zoom is. And I think what makes Zoom even more compelling from the investing investing perspective is while Zoom is making all of these investments and building out this killer video conference platform, you know, on the other side of the coin there with their com- competitors in the spaces like, you know, Google or Skype, those companies, you know, Skype is owned by Microsoft. Those companies seem like they're not even investing in that video conferencing platform whatsoever. So it's kind of making it a little bit easier uh, for Zoom to capture some share there. Um, and, and perhaps, you know, DocuSign is is following that lead a little bit. I guess we'll see. But it certainly seemed like the the numbers for their quarter uh, were painting a, a picture of success there. What about AI? AI is a big. Um, so that's, yeah. Buzzword these days, right? Artificial intelligence. Yeah, almost everybody has some kind of artificial intelligence as part of their business idea. Um, I wouldn't. I I don't know. I haven't seen a dizzy pig 
pitch, but <laughs> but if 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 they wanted to keep on trend, they would probably add say their you know AI flavored spices. Um, so I think all all sort of fads have a kernel of truth, and and or and in this case, I think there's certainly more than a kernel of truth with. Um, Artificial intelligence, I think it's could be a potential game changer. But I think there probably people are bandying it about um, a little loosely, uh, just just to garner that pub. I think the the truth is, machine learning is a big deal, but we're still at early stages. Yeah. I think that there's kind of a battle out there for who's going to get the right training sets. So you get the right data to start. You start getting your model trained up. Uh, you, you're doing you're doing better. Pro- you grow, you've got a better business process, more data, more learning. And so I'm less focused on somebody coming in and saying, hey, I've got all this data, or saying, hey, I've got this tool. It's more the the process to get that flywheel up and going. So I don't know if I'm going to be able to get you a pitch for Dizzy Pig anytime soon, but maybe I'm just going to send you a thing in their Dizzy Dust. You just you make some ribs at home, right? Or maybe you know some pork roast or something like that. You, you just tell me what you think, and we'll go from there. You know what I'll call that? I'll call that a demo. Amen. Which I, and I always prefer a demo to a pitch. I like. Of course, you want real life experience there, man. I don't have to tell you how great it is. You just need the experience. Just, yeah, just eat the ribs. <laughs> Well, Brendan, we're going to wrap up this show here. Now, normally when Matt and I wrap it up, we like to give our uh, listeners stocks on our radar. Now, we're going to take a little bit of a different approach here because, Brendan, you and I have been working together for a long time here until you recently parted ways and went to Motley Fool Ventures. We always like to complain. We like to talk about the things that bother us, the things that grind our gears. Uh, so, you know, instead of stocks, let's talk about the things that grind our gears. What are some of the things that grind your gears? So, what grinds my gears? I'll start with a, a professional one, and this is projections. Mm-hmm. Um, we got a lot of projections, but <laughs> if you don't include your actuals and your projections, so I need to know your 2018 numbers, not just 2019 to 2025, um, that's no good. I, I need to see actuals. I see projections all day long that are just sort of made up. So if you don't include actuals in your financial model, that grinds my gears. You know what really grinds my gears from a professional level is when you listen to these calls, or you read through the transcripts. It's like, hey, you know, could you give us a little bit more color on you know this trend, or a little bit more color on this item on the on the income statement, or a little bit more color on your projections? That's a double grind, a gear grinder. So yeah, I mean the the, the projections, the color. I mean, guys. Come on, let's change it up a little bit. Be a little bit more business focused. Uh, asking know. asking for color is like saying I don't have time to think of a good question. Now you talk. Yeah, that's probably a pretty good observation there. What else? Uh, so another thing. This is just a, a personal thing. I think it's a collective action problem. When you're at the airport waiting for your bags at the baggage claim, that turnstile is going around and around. <laughs> <laughs> and, and maybe it's a flight that got in a little light. It was crowded. Everybody is standing within one centimeter of that of that baggage carousel. <laughs> if we could all just take two steps back, everybody would be able to see their bags, and you could walk right up to you could walk right up to the turnstile, grab your bag without having to elbow your way through. We'd all be better off if we would all just take two steps back. The problem is, if we all did it, or if just I did it, I would just be standing in the in, yeah, of in the back of a bunch of people. Of course. And then if we all sort of agreed to do it, there might be there might be one weasel who would say, you know what? There's all this empty space. I'll just stand up here. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it's like when you get off of a plane, right? 
It's like everybody wants to get up at once and just stand there. And you're sitting there and like people are trying to get up and get past you. But it's like, dude, you're not going anywhere. No one's even getting off the plane yet. You got to go off in a nice orderly fashion, just one at a time. It just, you know, come on. Grinds in my gears. It does. And you know, like, so, you know, I like to play golf. And man, I tell you what, it just, the game has gotten so slow. That like you'll go when you see people playing golf and then they like they'll roll like a ten foot putt and they miss it and they've got like a, you know a one foot putt left and then they'll go up there and they'll mark their ball and then clean it off and then remark it and get back there and read the putt. I mean, it is you're not doing this for a living, guys. You're just out there having fun. Just putt it out or hey, just just play just play. You know, it's it's good. You know, I mean, if it's in the leather, it's in the leather. You don't have to put everything out. I don't even take the flag out. Why not? I mean, now the rules say you can even leave it in. I mean, hey, come on. What about, you know, when people call gyros, gyros or gyros? And what do you call it? I call it a gyro. It's a gyro. It's, that's it. If you go to One any, gyro for a gyro. Any Greek restaurant, they're going to say gyro, right? So it's not a gyro, people. Not a gyro. And that is what grinds our gears, folks. Brendan, this was a lot of fun. This was a lot of fun. We need to get you back in here soon to talk more about this venture stuff. Thank you, Jason. Yep, you got it. Brendan Matthews works for Motley Fool Ventures, a separate sister company of the Motley Fool LLC. His appearance is not intended as a solicitation or offer of sale of any securities. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Today's show is produced by Austin Morgan. For Brendan Matthews, I'm Jason Moser. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.